Thank you for listening to the Weekly Market Outlook. It is our pleasure to bring an industry-leading market analyst to provide you with the most value possible in your farm business. Please reach out anytime by emailing cbaron at agviewsolutions.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the AgView Pitch, and we are heading into a new marketing week, and we've got with us Peter Meyer. How's it going today, Pete? I'm well, Chris. How about yourself? Everything all right? Oh, it's hanging in there, so doing pretty good. I'm actually uh, driving across Illinois. We've been in Indiana this past week and seen a lot of crops and stuff, so I'll get that to that in a minute, and... Uh, just kind of get your perspective on kind of what you're hearing, what you're seeing from some of the guys you work with. Well, uh, about two weeks ago, I drove about uh, 4,000 miles from Ohio out to the Missouri River in South Dakota and back. My initial, uh, my initial um, take on it was all the crops seem to be a little bit short for this time of year. As you probably know, I spend, mm-hmm. uh, I usually go out around the third week of June and, you know, the crops were short. So you can see the effect of the, June heat and dryness. Now, what that means for soybeans, uh, probably not too much. But when you talk to agronomists, I mean, the jury is still out on what that'll mean to the corn because the corn ear is, the corn ear is uh, you know, kind of formed itself or that's kind of a done deal. So, you know, I mean, if we were to lose a couple kernels around, if, if the girth is not there, the diameter of the year, if you'd like, um, you know, I mean, you just start to lose a couple rows, a couple rows around and all of a sudden on a 14, 14 around here, you can lose about 12 or 13% on a 16 around here. You'll lose a little bit less than that. But mm-hmm. you know, I, I think there seems to be a lot of uncertainty as, as to what the short crop means at the moment. Now on the way back, uh, Iowa had received a fair amount of rain. Southern Minnesota had gotten some rain, even South Dakota had gotten some rain. The crops looked a little bit better. So I wouldn't say that anything I saw was unhealthy but I think the jury's out on what that short, what that shortness means. And now we've had a little bit of a delayed, um, uh, pollination going on. The other thing I would say was that this is of all the years I've been doing it, the stands look tremendous. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, the emergence was very, very good, but that also speaks to the fact that it was dry and you didn't get any drown out spots and whatever. So, Mm -hmm. uh, there obviously is some potential there, but it's certainly with not, with, with, uh, not without any, uh, any concern, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, like I said, as we, so we've, we've driven across pretty much the entire state of Iowa, Illinois, and uh, a big chunk of Indiana. And basically what we're seeing is some pockets in uh, Illinois in particular that caught some massive amounts of rains, a lot of drowned out areas and a lot of funky looking corn that's just basically waterlogged and, and it's obviously impacting the beans seeing a lot of yellow and then the same thing in indiana there was pockets where it was really heavy and then you know go back to iowa for a minute my home state and where i live we're seeing you know we're in a, in a pretty dry spot um, we've pretty much got an empty tank normally this time of year we've still got a pretty good reserve in the subsoil but we're sitting here on about an eighth of a fuel tank so not a lot to get us by, so we're going to need these rains to come through. And it looks like these rain maps, what they show is about 30% more than actually falls, with the exception of some of these areas where it's been really heavy and you're looking at the purple color, and some of those have been pretty accurate. But in those dry zones, when when it seems like when that map shows the rain, it's a little, a little bit inaccurate. But uh, uh, let me ask this question. What's the market looking at, you know, from the perspective of weather, 
in your view, you know, from some perspective in the next couple of weeks here, what's what what moves the market one way or another as we continue on here in this volatile market? Well, Chris, I, I mean, I think that, the, you know, the market is certainly aware of the fact that it seems like these forecasts are turning hot and dry for the latter part of July, which, which is going to be an issue, especially in the West. As you just mentioned previously, there's not a lot left in the tank. I mean, I would argue that Illinois may be the only state that has anything in the tank as most of the belt, and especially in the West, has not been recharged and has nothing to, to fall back on. So, I mean, today's, today's dip down to, down to $5 certainly was based on the, on the midday GFS, which showed heavy rains in, in, in Iowa. But nonetheless, I mean, this crop in general, in my opinion, from what I've seen and what the maps kind of show, I mean, it is, it is, being, it is being fed from, you know, from uh, spoon-fed, so to speak, and it needs these just-in-time rains and will continue to need it, especially through pollination and after pollination. Yeah, so, so again, you know, from a perspective of a producer, how's the market reacting to this? Well, the market's reacting very negative to it, and I mean, that just kind of shows us that, you know, even, even though there is the argument that we're in a, heav- a heavily... Uh, a heavy demand market, that it is primarily a, pr- a production market. I mean, I'm fond of saying that, uh, you know, corn does nothing quietly above $5, right? And I mean, just mm-hmm. a few weeks ago, we were above $6 on a Friday, and then we then we went down to 514 then back up to 6 and change after the acreage port. Now we're back down to this 510, 512 area. So, you know, I uh, it's, it's probably going to test this $5 level, but as I said earlier about the market doing nothing quietly above five dollars, I think that well, psychologically it would be it would be hurtful to lose the five dollar handle. Uh, I think that below that we're just going to kind of settle down and stuff. I mean, based on our supply and demand estimates, we see we see the farm price between four seventy five and five dollars being a very very good demand area. So I'm not really concerned about the market falling apart, and I certainly don't think that the funds are going to jump into this market from the short side. There's no indication that they are at the mm-hmm. moment. So this podcast comes out on, on Sunday middays. And so we're going to be coming up on a report. There's going to be some people listening to this after the report from the perspective of what you see and you watch these reports and understand this stuff probably is good or better than anybody I know. So what, what's your thought on, on this, this Monday report? How should farmers take it? What do you expect to see? And then, and then what's the perspective out of that? Well, I think given the quarterly stocks report, the, the, the market seems to be thinking that the, uh, that the old crop stocks can be down by another 20 or 30 million. I actually think that the USDA might have overshot the export number. We have about 11 million metric tons left to export in corn. Last year around this time, I think we had eight. But that doesn't bother me at all because if they were to raise raise um, raise the uh, the old crop stocks by let's say fifty and move uh, move that into new crop at one point one five, I mean we do have this extra acreage, but boy oh boy, I, this this export number that the USDA put out uh, for new crop at two point four five billion is so underestimated in our opinion. I mean I'm around two point eight billion. But I think that I think that you know maybe they raise that up to two six or two seven because what's happened is that now that we have the acreage uh, numbers and we're going to get a production increase of probably two hundred and fifty million bushels month over month that can easily be absorbed on the uh, on the uh, on the demand side. So what am I looking for? You know, you know, you know I guess between one point oh five and one point one 
which was last month's number in old stock area. Maybe a little bit higher, but I don't think that should worry anybody because nobody's trading old crop contracts at the moment. And a new crop, I still see like a 1-3 carry out, maybe a 1-3-5. I think the market's looking for something closer to 1-4. But, you know, is that enough to push the market higher? Will that balance out against the range? I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily think so. But I think mm-hmm. what we have to really watch is this export number. USDA was extremely low on their export number, 2.45 versus a billion bushels versus 2.85 uh, last year. And I really see, I, 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 you know, we can argue or we can, we can discuss whether China is going to import as much as they did last year. That's going to be the wild card. But nonetheless, the Brazilian crop is in some serious trouble. Uh, you know, that was a crop that was estimated at 107, 110 million metric tons just six months ago. We're down to 91 million metric tons. We have boots on the ground in South America to say it could be as low as 80 million metric tons. So right there, their exports are going to get slashed. And we're also hearing stories about corn being transferred in and out of the states of Brazil to get to some of the feeding operations. Mm-hmm. My focus there, that's a long way of saying, and I apologize for being so long-winded, but that's a long way of saying that I think that the export number of 2.45 billion they put out last year is woefully underestimated mm-hmm. on the soybean side way too early to make a call chris i believe we're going to be at pipeline soybean for the next year or so i don't i don't think that there's any chance of us building up anything over this 120 can we get to 140 million or 150 million in carryout sure who cares we're going to use every bean and we're not going to use the beans we're not going to use the beans on the uh on the export market we're going to use it domestically given this tremendous interest in renewable diesel and sustainable aviation fuel. And that's all dependent on vegetable oil for the most, well, it's, it's dependent on vegetable oil prices. The vegetable oil prices have come back a little bit. This is giving these, uh, re- these renewable fuel manufacturers a little bit of comfort. And I think we're, I think we're going to what I call domesticate the soybean crop in the U S it's all going to stay home. And now it's just a matter of how much crush capacity we have. Mm-hmm. If we stay on beans for a minute. The last time we had you on, you're, you're pretty, you sounded, sounded pretty bullish. I had several clients comment on, on your take on, on the strength in the bean market. And the other thing too, with the, with the bean market, just based on what I've seen in, in the three I states covering pretty much the vast majority of those three states in the last um, number of days, and plus, we got a long ways to go before there's anything in the bin. And so, you know, you got that length of time plus everything you're talking about. Um, what's your perspective there? I mean, do we do we pull the trigger on some stuff when we start getting some opportunities? Or do you think those opportunities are going to come sooner than later? Or what's your thought there? Here's the thing is that I believe that production rallies are meant to be sold. And I believe demand rallies are meant to be respected. And I think that mm-hmm. in beans, we have not seen the demand rally yet. Okay. I mean, it's going to be hard for me to believe that, that we're not going to get back to $14 in beans just because of the scenario that I just presented to you. Mm-hmm. We're just not, you know, this, this acreage number, I mean, we hit the corn number. Uh, we were around 93. It came in at 92 and change. I missed the bean number because, and I told our clients, we need 90 million acres of beans. We're not, we don't have 90 million acres of beans at the moment. Could we get it later on? Who knows? So we you think in that, that August report we're gonna we're gonna pick up more acres? No, no, no. I don't. We're not gonna pick up any acres till October. I okay. mean October. You know, Chris, and that brings another point up is that, <clears throat> given the fact that the survey response rate to the acreage um, uh, survey, a farmer survey, was only about fifty-two percent of the surveys were returned. 
That's down 16% in two years. So what does that mean? A, it means that the farmers are holding their cards close to their vest. I totally understand that. But the other thing it says is that the acres could get um, revised. But that will not happen until the FSA data becomes, quote, unquote, semifinal. And that won't happen until the October WASDE. So we are going to be sitting here with this sub-88 million acres of, of soybeans until mm-hmm. October. And the demand, is, the demand is going to be there. I like the demand side of soybeans. I actually think what we've seen the last two days, Chris, while corn's been down, beans have held their own, if not gone higher. So beans have been, corn has been the leader. Beans have been following corn. But I think it's time for that to disconnect. And by that, I mean, you know, we trade, we can trade up to 2.8 as far as a ratio is concerned between November beans and December corn. And by and those numbers I'm looking at are maybe $5 for December corn and $14 for November beans. Maybe even as high as three, uh, three to one. But that would only happen if we got down to, let's say, 475 or something like that, December corn. I believe soybeans are going to break out and that they could trade as high as 1425. Mm-hmm. Um, last thing I want to um, hit you up on here, and we're going to keep this one a little short because I am traveling here today and trying to do 10 things at once, and um, is this this whole ethanol thing. I mean, you keep track of a lot of stuff that's going on there. What does a farmer need to be paying attention to on the corn side of things? I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I mean, it just seems like a normal year. We, we, we crush 5.2 billion bushels. Uh, we've been at 5.2 billion for the 21-22 marketing year for a while. The USDA came up to our number. We're starting to see there is some, some grumblings about the fact that now ethanol production is back up. So maybe they'll increase, increase the old crop uh, number. But it's 5.05 billion, which is where they are. You know, you're down, they're down about 2.8% from last year. And let's be honest about it. The marketing year, we, since the marketing year started September, we spent six months in a pandemic. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they increase it a little bit. We did see the highest ethanol uh, production number last week for the first time in 70 weeks. And people are making headlines out of that. But what happened 70 weeks ago? The pandemic started. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, we, we see it kind of flatlining at 5.2. Um, we see... We see ethanol, or we see gasoline demand, kind of peaking probably around the year 2025, and then starting to go lower based on based on uh, EVs, electric vehicles. But boy, I certainly get the sense that this renewable diesel and sustainable aviation fuel is a deal that is a deal that's here to stay, mm-hmm. and that's going to create tremendous demand on soybean oil and all the other vegetable oils because the the feedstock of choice, fats and tallows, we just don't have enough of that production in the U.S. They're going to come get the vegetable oil, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Pretty good news for soybeans. Again, echoing what you said the last time. Occasionally, I'll ask a last, last question, and I want this one to be kind of quick, but I, I do want to throw this out there because it's stuff I keep hearing from clients. But, you know, is the concern for input costs in 2022 and when we see these rallies that kind of give us the volatility um, either after a report or on a weather um, forecast or something that gives us volatility and gives us these sales opportunities, quote unquote, that you just said, you know, you reward those um, little opportunities that come your way. What's your thought on 22 on both corn and soybeans? Do you, are, are you in the camp of do something or are you in the camp of do nothing or what's your perspective there? On the soybean side, I wouldn't really do much because I think that this, that we have to let this, uh, this renewal, this uh, demand for, for soybean oil kind of play its way out. Mm-hmm. And in corn, to be honest with you, I mean, you know, uh, 
we're, we're not going to know here for a few months until the seed companies set their seed prices. They did not participate in this rally, unlike your fertilizer suppliers. So I am a little bit worried about the fact that they're going to raise their prices. And mm-hmm. it's just a fear, fear of the unknown, Chris. I mean, you know, yeah, $5 corn looks great, right? Last year we were talking about this time, we're talking about $3 corn or, or, or 70 weeks ago, let's say $3 corn, now $5 corn. It doesn't stink, but uh, but there's so many unknowns, mm-hmm. and what and what the suppliers are going to try to try to get out of the out of the, especially in the seed companies since they did not we're not able to participate mm-hmm. in this rally because their prices were set in the fall. Yeah, I think it's too early too early to be selling selling mm-hmm. 2022 just yeah. on the unknown in corn. And on the fact that we have a good demand market in soybeans, so let's see how it plays out. Yeah, no, that's that's good points. All all good points. The thing we look at occasionally, it's a it's a it, it is an individual farmer by farmer thing too, right? Because we've got some yeah. land, we've got some farmers with uh, pretty well locked in land rent numbers, pretty well locked in. Um, you know, maybe they own more land or whatever, but the land is the big one, and then the other big ones, machinery and equipment. Those two combined are the number one and number two largest line item expenses, and they're right around that 50, anywhere from 50 to 56% of the total cost of production. So plugging a little in, what's your thought of plugging a little in if a, if a person has those numbers locked in? Are you good with that, or what's your thought? Cert, cert, certainly with anything getting towards 60%, if it makes financial sense to you, right. uh, especially on the corn side. Yeah, I, mean, yep. I think you have, to, okay. you have to look at the market if it does rally. Yep. Gotcha. Okay. Well, hey, um, really appreciate this. This is kind of a fast one, and I and I did want to get a hold of you, Pete. I know, I mean, you you probably, like I said, these reports, when these reports are coming out and going through, you're the foremost expert that I've ever found as far as, you know, really knowing what's going on, knowing how to talk the talk and how to distinguish what's going on. So we really appreciate your, your insight on that. Thanks a lot. Well, that's that's very kind of you to say. I'm not sure that I'm worthy, worthy of those compliments, but... <laughs> You know, the July, the July numbers, all we're really going to do is plug in, plug in the acreage numbers from June and, you know, the soybean sheet's not going to change much because those are the same numbers from the prospective plantings report. So, okay, 130, 140 million carry out. Okay. Still bullish in my book. Mm-hmm. And on the corn side, like we said, the exports should be able to suck up what, uh, what's needed here on this additional acreage. So, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Awesome. Hey, thanks a lot. Really appreciate you being on. Anytime, Chris. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you again soon. And then thanks, everybody, for listening again. And we will catch you next time on the AgView Pitch.